Hi guys, welcome back. I'm Brianna. I'm Maharo. And I'm Demaya. And this is She Thinks She Knows Podcast. So for today's episode, we're going to be continuing our Sounds of an Era series. If you guys don't know, in our first season, we had our first episode about it where we covered music from the 60s to the 80s, and we focused on uh, the topic of Black plight. So if you guys haven't heard that episode, it's episode five on season three, Sounds of an Era, um, Black People in Music. So if you guys want to give that a listen, it'll be a good foundation for how we go about this episode, and it'll sort of uh, catch you guys up with how we are sort of going through the times with music. Uh, so to start, the song that I chose today was Whenever, Wherever, Whatever by Maxwell. Did I say that right? Why do I feel like I said, said the name wrong? When- Whenever, whatever, <laughs> something. Yeah, it's, yeah, okay, I got it right. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> this song was from Maxwell's debut album, um, Maxwell's Urban Hangs Sweet. And it came out in 1996. So this is when he sort of became very popular. And the meaning behind the song, it really is just a love song, your typical, like, I'll go everywhere with you. And, you know, um, and I just, I really enjoyed the song because I would listen to it a lot in the nighttime. And it always just kind of made me feel like, I don't know, the sense of like love and black love and just sort of, you know, all the feels, I just really appreciated it. Um, So I decided to choose that song. Maxwell, he was known for being one of the main influencers of Neo Soul. So in the 90s, uh, the birth of Neo Soul kind of happened around that time with like him, Lauryn Hill, uh, Jill Scott, Erica Badu. They all kind of pioneered that genre. And I also feel like around that time, a lot of experimental music was coming out, like R&B, hip hop, pop with like Whitney Houston and all those people like uh, Tony Braxton. And so I feel like at that time, all the music was very quality and experimental and so his album like his debut album it's still very popular to this day and I think a few years ago was the 25th year anniversary of the album but it was just so like it has longevity like the quality of it doesn't hasn't changed from when he put it out till now you can still listen to it and sort of feel all the emotions in the album and it doesn't feel like one of those old tracks that's kind of died like it really does live on and I feel like it speaks to a lot of the music that was made in that time because people put a lot more, I feel like people put a lot more thought into the emotions that the music was giving. And it was also bringing sort of like a camaraderie with the community because a lot of black people were making such really good music that like there wasn't any songs that was really like, uh, I don't really like this. Like people weren't just putting out anything. They were putting out songs like, I want people to feel this, feel how I feel, connect with me. And I think that album did a really good job in doing that. So that's my song. I like what Brianna said about, you know, people coming out with experimental music because we are talking about, I guess, the, mm, I'm not going to say climax, but like we're going up the hill of like the hip hop era and we're getting away from like, obviously blues, disco and all these things, which, which um kind of like was the foundation, like for black people in the music industry. And so I think that 
it's really interesting that she made the point of like we're coming out with more experimental music because in a sense like every new genre is more experimental like disco was experimental for the time like rock and roll experimental for the time and so i think that like people that grew up in these eras it's hard for them in the moment to see like is there anything better that could come out of this and like brianna mentioned like you know r&b and neo soul and hip-hop like these are all three very different um genres of black music and it just it just really goes to the point of like you know you can keep getting better and there is more out of what's for right now you also mentioned lauren hill which is interesting because she is the vocalist um in my song if i rule the world by nas and it's interesting because this was her first musical appearance outside of the group the fugees that she was a part of at that time um, this song was released in 96 and it was in the album it was written and i think well it's my opinion but i also just think people think this i feel like that album was kind of responsible for making Nas into like the figure that he is today or like having that much respect in hip hop. Um, I think people like at the, to this day, like would consider a classic for hip hop or for like the new age of hip hop. Um, but yeah, and so I don't know, I chose this song because I like it. I feel like a lot of people to this day listen to it and not necessarily for the themes, I would say, but it honestly just comes across as very like nostalgic, like very like chill, like you can sing along. Like, I think that's kind of what everybody gets from it nowadays. But I feel like if you look at the lyrics and you try to analyze them, you kind of see the themes that they're talking about um, has to do with like envisioning a world where like the bad things that happen now to especially to people of color in the struggle, specifically black people, wouldn't happen. And so basically the whole song goes with Nas basically spelling out everything he would want to see in this new world. And it was just interesting because like some of the things he was talking about, like it went from materialistic things like fancy cars, girls, all this stuff. But then he also talks about um, like mold, like equality across races. And he talks about like basically mass incarceration. And he talks about like police, police harassing in like black neighborhoods. And he talks about a lot of things. And he even talks about, there's one line that says, okay, there's two lines that I wanna point out specifically. Um, one of them, he says, so many years of depression make me vision, the better living type of place to raise your kids in. And then he says, open their eyes to the lies history's told foul. And that was interesting to me. And then another line he says, which honestly kind of surprised me. I didn't even know he said this in the song. He said, political prisoners set free, stress-free no work release purple m's and jet skis feel the wind breeze in the west indies i make Coretta scott king the mayor of cities and reverse themes to willies and okay the first part when he talks about like envisioning the kind of place to, leave, to raise your kids in i feel like you know that kind of goes with making a better world like something safer especially black children to grow up and not be like you know harassed or brutalized or whatever and then the last part it's just interesting how he puts things together that are like not related, like political prisoners step free. Like that's very, like such a strong statement. And then he says like, you know, jet skis and other, you know. So it's just interesting. I feel like he's like combining all these aspects of like, 
you know, revolutionary things and then mixing in like, you know, jet skis, feel the wind breeze, like vacation type of stuff. So I feel like that was really interesting. Um, another fun fact is that this song was actually kind of based on a 1985 song of the same name by this rapper, Curtis Blow. And I looked Curtis Blow up a little bit and I found that he was a um, like popular rapper in the 50s and late 50s who talked a lot about racism in his music. And Brianna, it's interesting because Brianna and I both are a fan of the show, um, The Get Down, and he actually was the one who produced that show. He was like the executive producer. And so that was really interesting because I feel like The Get Down also has that kind of vibe of like, you know, racism, 70s music, hip hop. Um, that's, it's a really good show. But, but yeah, all in all, I feel like this song, it's interesting because a lot of people acclaim it like praise it so heavily but also I think like the main people who listen to it listen to it pretty casually and it's like still something you can put on at like a barbecue and not be like too much of a message or too strong um um the last thing I want to say about this song too is actually a quote from this man Bobby Mickey um and he's from the hip-hop golden age article online he says lyrics to this song evoke a modern day links and hues, idealistic and inspirational. Only a young man could write a song so idealistic and not have it be met with sarcasm or cynicism. Mm. And obviously he's talking about Nas. And I thought that was really interesting because it really is an idealistic song. Um, I think when you read it out loud, when you read it on paper, it seems like so much more idealistic than you know listening to it in the music or on the radio. Um, and I thought the comparison to Langston Hughes was really interesting, just considering how I feel like typically Nas and Langston Hughes, like, you know, just are on two different sides of, you know, history of the kind of art or like the kind of, you know, creative direction they have. I feel like it's just an interesting comparison, but, but yeah. So one thing that you said that kind of stood out to me was how uh, the song that he made was titled after a song that was made prior to that when they were in like the 50s and 80s um, type of hip hop era, I guess. And what I think was cool about music in this time is while it was really experimental, they still incorporated um, the sounds from before, like they carried it over. And so it like the idea of Neo Soul, it's like new, like, you know, a new version of an old like genre. So it's just kind of cool because I feel like that's like paying a, homage to what was quality before and then giving it a whole new level of quality and so people didn't I feel like that was kind of why all of the music was really good because it wasn't unfamiliar it was just mixed in a different way and so even like with hip-hop like Maxwell like he's from he's from Brooklyn New York and hip-hop was really big in New York you know so like for Neo Soul to sort of creep its way in and make such a big headline and still be a big headline now it's just, I feel like it's because there's that incorporation of like, I'm not really changing everything. I'm just adding a little bit of dashes here and there so that it gives people a, a different feeling. So not everyone's bumping, jumping, jumping. Maybe some people can just sway, like, you know? And so I just kind of like the idea. And even Nas, like that song isn't, it's not like this big old like, <laughs> like it's really chill. Like, and I feel like that's why people can listen to it so casually because while it's, while it's hip hop and it's incorporating, you know, messages and everything, the sound of this, it's not harsh. It's not like I'm coming at you. You got to listen to me. You got, it's just sort of like, okay, like I can, I can 
I can rock with this. So I just kind of like that idea. Um, and yeah, that's all I had to say. It's just really crazy that we're kind of bouncing off of each other because um, when I when we picked um, this to be the next few decades, I realized like, okay, this is the sample era. Like this is when samples become popular. And this is when, this is when like, no, not even this is when, this is when samples become popular, but samples from this time period are used today. And so the songs that are really good today are the ones that are sampling from back in the day. Um, so with that being said, the song that I chose, which I didn't even know was sampled, is um, I Can Love You um, by Mary J. Blige. And it's a song that like anybody of any age knows. Um, and they like they know the song. Um, however, I didn't know kind of like the backstory of the song. It's not like too extensive, but when doing research on the song, I just learned a few more things. So um, this song was released in 1997. So a year after um, the songs that Brianna and Mahal mentioned. Um, and it's sampling, Little Kim is on the song with Mary, but it's sampling one of her song, one of her tracks. Um, and the track is called Queen B-Word. Um, and so before, um, a little while ago, <laughs> before we were recorded, I listened to the sample and my face is like really surprised. And so Brianna Marl, that's why my face was surprised like that <laughs> because I, I wanted to talk about sampling. And then, so what happens that the song that I chose is a sample. Um, and so around the time that Mary um, released this album, Share My World, um, she was actually getting off drugs. She was um, getting out of a bad relationship um, with another singer, um, abusive relationship. And so like, this was kind of a turning point for her where she was trying to quote unquote, get her life together. And so when we talk about all the songs on that album, like Share My World, like I Can Love You, everything, all those songs, it makes sense as to why that would be on an album where you're trying to get your life together and you're trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, and one of the things that I think is important to mention as we talked about, as well, Brianna and Maharo talked about um, artists and them being intentional. Um, this album, just um, Share My World, just really echoes those statements because, okay, the title of the album is Share My World, and these are the songs that are on it. You're intentional about the music that you're putting out. It's not you just putting out like a 25 song track and like hoping that it gets on the charts. Like you're you're doing it for a reason. And I think um one of the things about this album that was really interesting is that about five of the songs on that album um, were on the Billboard 200. And so I think that also speaks to intentionality and like when the music is authentic, the people appreciate it and it shows in your streams. Um, and so this song 
it collides rap or hip hop and rap with R&B. I mean, I think that that's another thing that was going on a lot during the 90s is like colliding like, okay, this hardcore, like little Kim, like, okay, she says some really quote unquote raunchy things and Mary J. Blige, like, okay, singing a love song. Um, and I tend to enjoy songs like that because like Brianna said, like it's something that you can sway to, but it's something that you can also bop and like rap to and like get into. So I really enjoy um, songs like that. And it kind of puts me in a zone, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that what was cool, what's another thing that's really cool about all of these songs and albums, like with the going back to the intentions, um, you said like when you know, all of those songs were on the top 200 on billboards. And something that I sort of picked up on when I was looking through like Maxwell, Lauren Hill, Erica Badu, even like D'Angelo. I remember that we had one class where we talked about D'Angelo and his like voodoo album. And these artists would put one album out and it would carry them. Like, you know, like they wouldn't put another album out for years. Like, like D'Angelo, he put out Voodoo and didn't put out another track until like 14 years later. But that album still is like, boom, you know, and a lot of these albums, they they don't go anywhere. Like they don't, it's not even a, these people, they don't have to keep pushing out, content, you know, pushing out songs and pushing out streams and being like, get, get the streams up. That one album, because they were like, this is it. I'm going to put everything into this. It's going to connect. It's going to be good. You know, I I went through life to put this together. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like a, we sat in the studio for 24 hours and I just bust everything out. And it was like, I created these while I went through life. And while yes, a lot of albums are made that way. I just feel like one, these, these songs cater to black people. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't just like a, oh, whoever likes it, likes it. It was really like, I want to speak to my people. I want to have something where if I go into a bar or whatever and my song is playing, I can see that black people are mixing and, and talking and relating. So I feel like that, the community carried the music. Like, you know, they received it and they were like, we got you. And so a lot of the times these artists didn't have to really push out and like, I need to keep myself up. I need to keep myself up because it was like, no, we, we appreciate it. And we're gonna show you that we appreciate it because it'll still be something that till this day, what is Maxwell known for? What is Mary J. Blige known for? What is Nas known for? They're not, you're not going to ever hear someone, at least in my opinion, you're not going to hear someone be like, I don't know them. I don't know who that is or never heard of them, never, never seen where their music influenced people, never, you know, so it's just really cool. So I just, I like that idea. And I feel like if, I feel like there are still a lot of songs I noticed we never really talked, we didn't really talk about the early 2000s, but I, I do believe that there are songs in the early 2000s that have that same impact and maybe today as well, but. I don't know, it's some, you know, it's something about old school songs where people talk about like, it's not the same. It really isn't because you can just, the difference in quality, like you hear it and small bodies of work just have so much more meaning and everything. Like it just has more, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I think I think that it's important that you mention that um, because you mentioned earlier, we spoke about black play in music. Um, and so, in my opinion, right, like music is an outlet. Music is not, that's not an opinion, that's a fact. Music is an outlet. And Black people adopting and creating different genres um, to 
share their struggle in a different way. It's an outlet. And I think that like, when it's truly intentional, that's what it is. Like, it's not just like, I'm gonna put this music out just so I can get some streams. Like I'm putting this music out because it's something that I know that other black people can relate to. And um, I'm putting this out because like, this is my story. Um, and so you're, we're still talking about black life and music um, because if you're black, if you, I guess, um, live a black life, like I feel like that's just something that's gonna come out in the music. Um, and like you said, in this era, we can see that. And something else that I wanted to highlight was kind of like in this era, you can see black people gaining more control. Um, like, you know, starting in the 70s-ish, late 80s when hip hop came out, but really peaking in the 90s, you can see black people controlling their narrative, whether it's like through what they're wearing, um, well, not, not not even that, because Black people have like always set the tone, like in fashion and stuff, but it's about really going against the grain. So controlling the narrative, meaning um, creating um, your own record labels and um, like quote unquote bootlegging and that becoming popular and stuff like that. So I think this is when the commercialization of black people in music really begins to take off um, because when I was researching a lot of these people like Little Kim and Mary and the Junior Mafia and, and Puff Daddy and all these people, they're really seeing major profits. And before, as you know, black people they were constantly played when it came to money and reaping the benefits of the great music that they were putting out. And so I think that at this time, like the exploitation is put on front street <laughs> and it's hard to kind of um, keep getting over on black people. So I think that it, it's, it's fun for us to talk about that. And it's fun to highlight that these songs have a significance um, in life or the black community today because of those things that it was doing. I think that I really liked everything you guys both said. Um, I had two thoughts, but going off of what you just talked about, about com commercialization, I'm thinking about, you know, if I rule the world, how Nas and Lauren Hill collaborated basically for the first time. And I think that as these artists were becoming like, they were starting to receive profits and see a lot of fame in their own individuals. I think that like that allowed for collaborations amongst artists who didn't really have much in common. And I'm not yeah. saying that Lil Nas and Lauren Hill didn't have anything in common, but like, it's just interesting because I forgot to mention, but that song, um, If I Rule the World, it put Nas like on the, R&B charts, like top 20 songs for the first time, obviously, because he's not an R&B artist, but like that collaboration allowed him to reach a new height, like, you know, and so I think that like, 
it's just so interesting at this time how all these different artists were collaborating like hip hop and R&B and like across genres, which we see today, like today, it'll be like somebody in pop and a hip hop artist. And like that kind of brings them, it brings their different audiences together and like allows them to reach more people and like more success and more views. So I feel like definitely, at least within the black community, I think R&B and hip hop really started to like the 90s and early 2000s saw them like coming together and like complimenting each other, um, which I think may have been happening before, but I feel like that's when we really saw it. And I think that's what brings today like when people say like me when I rap like both the girl part and the male part, like, you know, like it's just very funny because um, like just even thinking about the people who enjoyed like hip hop versus R&B, I think obviously it seems very much like mostly you know, guys were interested in hip hop and like girls were into R&B, but like when they started bringing it together, it's like people could appreciate different things or different genres that they weren't into before. And so I think that's cool. And also about what you guys were talking about before, more so Brianna, um, with the genres, it kind of reminded me of the other week when I had like made this really long playlist and I wanted to start the playlist with um, like soul and like R&B, like old school R&B. And then like, once I started adding the other songs from like the modern day, like it was just like, I don't like mixing John, like mixing specific genres in playlists. But when I was looking at all of it, I was like, this is crazy. But like, it just reminded me or made me realize how there's so much room, at least in my music taste for like old, like, old music and I think when I put it up against the music nowadays like it really pressures me to be like okay like I really need to be more quality music like you know because I feel like sometimes it just doesn't compare and I don't know I think when we talk about songs or albums that could have carried somebody's whole career I think it's just because the music is so quality that like it doesn't even compare to today like it's really like it's something that you'll always have room for I feel like when it's quality music with the message I think it's something that you naturally just want to hold on to and pass down and like spread even though you do have room for today's influences and today's like rap R&B you know pop so yeah something like when you mentioned the playlist like I have a playlist so my sister my older sister put me on to this playlist that she used to play at night when we used to share a room and it was all these old like Donald Jones Maxwell like you know, Jenna Jackson, all these old songs. I never really like listened to unless my mom was playing it or something, whatever. <laughs> but she would play it almost every night. And there was a point where I was like, Zayna, what is this playlist? Like, can like where are the songs come from? And she sent it to me and I was just taking all the songs and putting them into my own playlist. And then I started to build, you know, like naturally you come across songs, you add them to it. And so I started adding sort of new songs like Robin Thicke's not new, but like, you know, he's new compared to like Donald Jones. So I would add like him and then like Miguel and then just more instrumentals. And so like, when you see the playlist, it kind of just goes in that order of like old and then slowly peeking into new. And sometimes the transitions are just very abrupt. Like, you know, it's not, it's not an organized playlist. So obviously some of the songs that come in here, like what? But if I'm listening to like, you know, like let's get married or something, you know, like, one of those, me, me, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, I like this. And then all of a sudden you have like Robin Thicke coming on. I'm like, <laughs> that's, it kills the mood. Like, you know, and, uh, but I also noticed that there are some songs that are from kind of the new age that, ooh, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little low. I feel like there are some songs that 
from the new age kind of helped transition like Miguel, his debut album. Um, I don't know if it's called Kaleidoscope Dream or if it's called something else. I think it's called Kaleidoscope Dream. But his main, his debut album with Adore and, and all those songs on it. When I'll play one of those songs after like an old song, it kind of worked because he kind of, he still had like a more low tempo, groovy, you know, and even though it had a little bit of accents of like techno and things like that, it still gave a similar feeling. So I definitely feel like there are some songs from now that incorporate that vibe, but you just hear the difference. Like it's cut and clear. Like, you know, it's not one point where I'm like, this is a new song, you know, like this song is old or this song is like, I know the difference. Like I can hear it. So it was just cool when you mentioned that because there's some times where I only have to pay one half of the playlist if I don't want to hear like, if I don't want to trans hear a transition, like I'll just put on like, let me just start here. So I'm not disappointing myself, <laughs> but yeah. Um, there was a word that Maharo said earlier, verses. And it made me think of the verses um, series that got started during the pandemic. Um, and I just wanted to point out something that I just realized, like, one, it's all older artists, which of course, like they have, you know, peaked at their career, they're, you know, retired and now, you know, it's time to acknowledge their works. Um, but you also have people like <laughs> Soldier Boy and Bow Wow, like doing verses too. Um, and I think that also speaks to the point of like, one, like an extensive dis discography um, because they're not just like, these verses aren't just one genre of music, one. And two, each artist doesn't have, like when you're, when we, when these people, like play their different songs. They're playing songs that they're featured in. They're playing songs that they have other people come on with them. And it's really blending uh, a number of different genres. And I think um, thinking about it, that's a little series that I appreciate or that I just gained like an appreciation for um, because it's really showcasing um, the variety of the voices in black music, as well as um, the variety of one voice. And so like, I've done this, but I've also done this and I've also done that and it's still quality. Um, and so sp speaking to that point, I, I don't know if there are many modern artists um, where they'd like be able to hold their own um, in a versus, even if we're comparing like two artists from today, I just think that a lot of the genres are straight and narrow. And when, when artists today try to, you know, like go off, go off into another place, they don't really succeed. Um, so I just wanted to say that that was, that was, that made me think of, you know, what's happening in music and how people are showing appreciation for those old um, artists, I guess you could say. That's a good point. And also just, it made me think of like, I guess just like the capacity of people as artists today. Like, I think like how you say when people try to even step outside, I feel like 
this is just obviously from an outsider perspective. I don't know much about the in music industry, but it seems that when somebody today kind of gains a little bit of recognition, um, they're gonna they're gonna like stick to the sound that's getting them there. And I think that it just also has to do with, I feel like the environment of nowadays in the entertainment industry, it's more so of like what can just get you on the map. Um, I think that a lot of artists that are really popular now might not have have might not have had such an extensive um, background or like um, like growing up with music and like having music at every corner or like I think a lot of artists that are really popular in the '90s and early 2000s like it seemed like they it seemed like the world is so small and like they all kind of were influenced by each other or maybe it's just because a lot of them were like you know products of like parents in the music industry or whatever but I think like it was just easier for artists to collaborate and like develop all these unique sounds just because they grew up in the scene and I think nowadays it's kind of like scattered like I think a lot of people are making music just from their own um and even though they might have musical influences they might not have had like a close I don't know close relationships with people like that and so it seems like people are just creating a sound and the song is really popular and they're kind of sticking with it because they don't really know what else to do um, or they just don't want to risk losing, you know, their name or their reputation or like fans. So I think it's really interesting. Um, I feel like the artists that are succeeding now and like doing so in the way that appeals to people who also like the old type of music, I feel like they're like heavily inspired by like Neo Soul and somebody i was thinking about was ari lennox um and i Wait, feel like that's crazy because i literally that was the first thing that popped into my head when you said that. really yeah when you both were talking and then when especially when brianna was talking about neo soul like she just kept popping in my head and i don't really know much about her background but her music like just rhythm and like just has that like feel of like you're walking into a 90s club or you're walking to a bar you're walking to like a jazz bar and she's performing on stage like that's the kind of vibe her music gives you um and i don't i'm not as much of a snow allegra fan as brianna demaio but i would say she gives off that kind of soul neo soul vibe as well um and i think those artists like obviously they're known a lot now um i don't think you can find one person who listens to R&B like an R is our age and doesn't know them, but they're also not, you know, really big names. They don't have a huge name for themselves, but I think they have a steady, um, a steady group of like people who listen to them, who are going to continue to listen to their music and support them just because of what they remind them of. So I think that's interesting. Something I wanted to add to that um, was that, so there's this show that I watch on YouTube called The Terrell Show. And he brings on a lot of underground R&B, contemporary, you know, hip hop. Like he brings on a lot of those artists, gospel singers. And when, like the the quality of their singing is like, <laughs> like when I tell you, I will watch for hours back to back the same videos, like literally the same videos, because um, it's just good music. And they're not put on the map or anything, you know. They're and they're not doing it really for money either. A lot of the times they just do it because they're like, I feel deeply connected to this. And it's always, sometimes I feel like it's always the people that literally just want to do it for the meaning. Like they're, you have to dig for them because like Mahar was saying, now music is about money. Like what's going to make me money? And because a lot of people want to get out of the conditions that they're in and that's the quickest way they feel like they can do it. Especially when you have TikTok and 
Instagram reels and all these things. You just need a snippet of music now. Like you don't even need a whole song. You just need a tiny little clip. Let's get a video and they can make money off that. You get one beat going, you have, you know, drill or whatever. You just keep the sound going, alter it, a, a tweak it just a little bit. <laughs> Boom, put the same kind of hook, everything on it. You have people that can recycle the same sound and make, you know, a few different songs. And um, I feel like when you have artists like, um, so for on that Terrell, so like a lot of the artists, they're really inspired by like Jasmine Sullivan, like, and um, you know how she's like really known for doing crazy riffs and just freestyling and, you know, boo-boo dot, like, you know, all that stuff. When you listen to these artists, you can hear I, like what they grew up listening to. I grew up listening to Patti LaBelle. I grew up listening to Jasmine Sullivan. I grew up listening to like, just old music. And I'm like, that. it's like it carries like the spirit. <laughs> you know, it's like it carries into them. Like, I kid you not, you guys. I told you guys about this show already, but like when I tell you every time I listen to it, I'm like, how is it even possible like that this music isn't even like glorified now? And I feel like I'll be thinking like if they were out in during those times, they will be huge like successes, you know. And so I definitely think it's unfortunate because not to say that those people like are bitter because their music isn't popular or mainstream, because right now mainstream is whatever can just make you bump and, you know, hip and all that stuff. And you can sort of see people kind of coming out and trying to get back to like the craft of music and not necessarily just putting out pushing out just to make money. But there's so many people that have the sound that I would want to listen to every day, but they just sort of like, they're just doing covers or they're just like, you know, just getting their voice out and not necessarily like getting into the studio because they know like, it's not, this isn't what's really wanted right now, but I'm going to still put out the sound. I'm going to still recreate these old songs that are timeless and give you guys my spin on it and, you know, let you enjoy that. And so like, I thought that was cool. And like something else that it made me think of, like, for example, like Chloe and Halle, like they're a new age, you know, kind of vocalists, really. Like they're, they're not, they're not just singers, like they're vocalists, <laughs> you know, they're harmonizing, <laughs> but they grew up making covers to older songs and it just sounds so good. And I'm like, wow, like, and they, and they made it to mainstream, but even now, you know, like their sound, it's catering to new school. It's catering to like younger generations. And sometimes I feel like, their voices are, it's like trying to bridge, uh, create a bridge, you know, but I feel like it's still kind of, you know, kind of getting lost over time. And that's just my personal opinion. Like their album that recently came out, you know, Ungodly Hour, masterpiece, obviously. But I just feel like while, as they get older, I'm afraid that, okay, is the industry going to sort of push them into being like, do pop, do this, do that. And kind of make them lose the, the fact that their voices are literally, they can go on any old beats, new beats, and succeed. Like, you know what I mean? I just hope that doesn't get lost. But yeah, that's just my take on that whole idea of capitalist, capitalizing on music and not really seeing them, the meaning behind it and how it's supposed to make you feel. Like that single that uh, Chloe is coming out with. Um, <laughs> I'm not feeling that. Um, but it's out. I'm going to listen to it. <laughs> or that she came out with. Um, I just, what is it called again? Um, I have no idea. Something that I heard. Yeah. Lord, have mercy. That's what it's called. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I heard that and I'm just like, eh, like, okay. 
Like, I can't really see there being vocals on that rather than like, okay, as of late, like I'm an Instagram, like I'm a baddie on Instagram, like people are starting to see me. And I just feel like that's playing into that narrative a little bit. So I'm not really too interested in that. But um, Maharl talked about collaboration earlier and people like being in the midst of people making good music. And one of the things that came to mind with me is that in, in today's day, like people don't even, like it's very rare that people do a song in the same studio. Like people just send the track over. Like, and there's no way that that's like, that's collaboration of course, but that's not collaboration at its peak. Like you're not feeding off the energy. Like somebody reaches out and once again, like I don't know everything about the music industry, but from what I see, okay, I wanna have this person on this track. Okay, let me send it over and have them send me something back. And boom, like people don't even record videos in the same room anymore. Like they're in two totally different spaces and with technology, you can blend it, you can make it seem like they're in the same room and call it a day. And so I think that like when we talk about collaboration, in-person collaboration is like the peak of collaboration and feeding off of each other's energy. Um, and a modern day example of that, which was, it was kind of like revolutionary, I guess, um, for its time was the dream, um, Dreamville revenge of the dreamers um and i think that like that's when like the hype around j cole and like <laughs> um just people understanding what he's capable of like beyond just rapping um i think that's when he got noticed because like if people haven't watched those um vlogs i guess you could call it on youtube like that energy like I'm not a rapper, I'm not an entertainer, but I would have wanted to be there. Like that just seemed like it was so much fun, like that there's so much music that was made there that we would never hear. And I think that is like the peak of collaboration. And that is a real life modern day example of how you can reach the peak of collaboration. And I really do appreciate that um, because like you guys said, there were a lot of, I guess, underground rappers and singers um, that really got their chance to shine. Um, and so on that note, another thing that I wanted to say was, it's really interesting to me um, when people have in mind like, oh, I wanna be like, on the top 100 chart or whatever, top 20, um, because that is when like, okay, I'm just gonna put something out that is going to make it. And I think something that is important to realize or like to remember is that like, to be a singer for a profession, like you do not have to, or to be an entertainer, an artist, a vocalist, for, for a profession, you do not have to make it to the top 100. You don't have to make it to the top 500, like in order to make a living. And so as Brianna was talking about, you know, you appreciate people um, that are quote unquote underground. Um, they're doing the work and they're succeeding at it. It's just that 
they're not succeeding in like the public eye and what's popular. And so I think like, I like that idea um, because it keeps them authentic. Like Snow Allegra, for example, like she wasn't, now she's in the quote unquote public eye, but I still don't think she's getting the recognition um, that like she's worthy of. And I'm kind of glad because it just made that album like, oh my gosh, that album. I literally listen to it every day. And her old one too. Like I listen to both of them every day. Um, and I think that as she's staying true to her sound and like, okay, one or two of her singles get popular on TikTok or like on the radio or whatever, like, because it's not like the whole album is not blowing up. I think that allowed her to be authentic on this new project that she put out. You know what I thought of when you were talking about a successful collab where people actually are in a studio together? It made me think of Motorsport. Remember when like Motorsport came out with Migos, Nicki Minaj and Cardi B? That song was so popular because Nicki Minaj and Cardi B had beef. And so people were like, oh shoot, who went harder on the, on the verse and all that stuff? And then like years later, you hear like all this stuff. I was trying to put her in the, I tried to put her in the verse and she didn't want to. They recorded in separate times and all of that. And it's like, so then you put the, you put the song out because why? Y'all knew, oh, people are going to want to know. They want to see a collab, even though we're not really mixing. And if it's not going to sell, it's going to sell because people are either going to listen to it to see who did better. They're going to listen to it to see if somebody drops like, you know, sneak this is, you know, and then it's like, oh yeah, mind you, I mean, I like the song because <laughs> I remember every word, but still it's like when you think of how it was put together, it's none of those people mix. Like, you know what I mean? They're just rappers all together and they're all popular right now. That's the only reason. It's not because they sat down and was like, look, I like your music. I like your music. I think we could do something good for the people. It's just like, look, people want to hear you and Nikki on the same track. Are you guys going to do it? Okay. I don't want to, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak and I'm going to try to be cordial and, you know, it's just weird. So it's like, well, yes, the song came out and it obviously it was a success because it's Nicki Minaj, it's Cardi B, who's the whole, who's taking whose place and you have Migos. Like, you know, so obviously it's going to be good, but what was the point of putting, you know, like, it's just, it was just kind of, it was kind of weird to me. I feel like it was just more for tea, but um, that's really all I had to say. So that brings us to the end of our episode. I think this being part two of our Sounds of an Era series, we definitely um, delved into new conversations around Black music and its impact. I think a lot of our first time was focused on Black struggle. And I think even though there's elements of that found in each one of all, in some of our songs that we chose, I think we definitely started to have a more um detailed conversation about the impact and kind of like what's to gain or what the artists and the community have gained from this music and so i think this was a really good conversation um in continuation of our series and so if you haven't checked out the first episode of this series um it's actually season three episode five it's called sounds of an era black life music um and also make sure if you haven't already to tune into our playlist on Spotify, Sounds of an Era. We're going to be including the songs we talked about today and also some of the other um, influences and inspirations we talked about um, in that playlist. 
also make sure to tune in to our upcoming episodes and content. Make sure you're following us on Instagram. And yeah, thank you guys. Bye. Bye.